Hello and welcome to Home to Her, the podcast that's dedicated to reclaiming the lost and stolen wisdom of the sacred feminine. I'm your host, Liz Kelly, and on each episode, we explore her stories and myths, her spiritual principles, and most importantly, what this wisdom has to offer us right now. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome to today's show. Before we get started, I do want to address the elephant in the room, and that is the COVID-19 pandemic that is currently sweeping around the world. These are really scary and uncertain times for all of us. And yet, to me, it feels more important than ever that the show continues to go on for as long as I can do it. Now, more than ever, I really believe we need the wisdom of the sacred feminine as a guiding force in all of our lives. Spiritual wisdom that teaches us that all of life is sacred, even the life of viruses that feel terrifying to us, can give us a really valuable perspective during this time. Spiritual wisdom that teaches us of the deep interconnectedness of all life can also remind us that none of us are walking alone right now. We're all in this together. And spiritual wisdom that tells us that our access to divinity lies deep within ourselves, not with an external authority, can really help us find our center amidst all the noise and chaos and the fear swirling around us. So onward we go, and I'm so glad you're joining us for this show. Today we're going to be talking about storytelling and specifically why the stories we tell matter. Growing up, I learned absolutely nothing about a feminine aspect of God. I was raised in a Southern Baptist home, so this probably shouldn't be surprising, but there was never any question that God was a man. I mean, it was just a fact. Not only that, though, I don't even really remember any stories of women from the Bible, period. Not even Mary, the mother of Jesus. It took me decades and a lot of flirting with other spiritual paths before I really began questioning why I had only ever seemed to hear of male gods and male spiritual leaders and male disciples and male authors of spiritual books. And when I finally figured out that that didn't seem quite right, and I set out looking for information about the divine feminine, I had a hard time finding her, despite the fact that at that point, I was kind of a spiritual junkie. I mean, if anyone should have stumbled upon her, it really should have been me. So that's why I'm so excited to introduce my guest today, who perhaps as much as anyone understands that the stories we tell matter and is helping to not only reclaim the stories of the sacred feminine, but also to elevate them so that more people can know about her and her wisdom. Trista Hendren is an author and creator of Girl God Books, an incredible series of books that celebrate the multifaceted nature of the divine feminine. The series began with a single book, The Girl God, which A Girl's Guide to Taking Over the World described as a picture book to show girls that God can be a girl, a God is inside, God is an idea, a positive action or good deed, God is open to creative interpretation and should be about everyone. Can I get an amen? (laughs) From that one book, Trista's series has now expanded to include more than 25 books with many more titles for children, plus adult anthologies, workbooks, and even three chapbooks of poetry. Trista's books are truly a collaborative effort in a family affair. 
Her mom, Pat, has edited all of the Girl God books, and her husband, Anders, has been deeply involved in supporting the series as well. Trista's children even make appearances in her children's books. And at a time when it can seem like bland, frankly boring quotes, generic stuff is all over social media, Trista provides really smart and valuable wisdom through her own social media outreach efforts. And she might have collected more interesting quotes and information about the Divine Feminine than anyone else I've ever met. She is a must-follow on Instagram, as is Girl God Books on Facebook. Trista is also a certified women's empowerment coach with Imagine a Woman International. And while she's originally from Portland, Oregon, we are speaking to her today from Bergen, Norway, where she lives with her family. So Trista, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Liz. It's an honor. So 25 books and counting, that's pretty impressive. Um, One of the things that I I think I first found out about you via social media and um, had seen some of your posts and just thought, oh, wow, this is really great. This is a a person after my own heart. And then when I really started digging in and and realizing all the books that you published, I was just kind of blown away. And um, I guess one thing that it really indicated to me is, wow, this is a person who has a deep and profound passion about reclaiming this divine feminine wisdom in the same way that I do. And so as with everybody who comes on the show, I I love to start, I'm just curious how uh, and where this came about um, and how you got on this path. So I'm wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about even starting from when you were young. I know I mentioned that I got very little exposure to the divine feminine. Uh, I'm wondering if that's the same for you and what your experience was like, what you learned about the divine feminine as a child. Yeah, I mean, I think we grew up probably pretty similar from the conversation we've had previously, um, fundamentalist Christianity, some Southern Baptist roots um, in there as well, and nothing about goddess that I could remember. If if, it, if there was, it was like a scary thing. Um, I went to a Southern Baptist college my freshman year to study um, and become a minister, and then I realized that I could only really become a wife there. And then that year, within the year, I I basically, once I started actually studying the Bible, I became an atheist. Wow. Yeah. So it was very, um, I mean, I went, I, in high school, I read the Bible hours every day. I prayed, I went to to church sometimes twice a day. Sometimes I would go to several different churches during the same Sunday or, I mean, I was very, very religious and probably more. A pressure that I put on myself actually than my parents but um, I mean they were definitely influences but I I think I was like the most religious one in my family <laughs> so and uh, yeah very into the end of the world and all these mm. the Paul Lindsay books and all this kind of thing um, and then yeah I went from being an atheist to a feminist to a Muslim and then like just have kind of circled and I, I actually did find the goddess in college um, through my women's studies program, but I kind of, it, it didn't stick with me then. I think for me in the 90s, goddess got a little bit new agey. And so I think, um, and I'm sure there were, you know, of course, 
you look, if you look back, there were many other books about goddess too at that time that are excellent, like uh, Great Cosmic Mother and, and whatnot. But those were not the books that I was coming across. So I think it didn't necessarily stick with me at that time. Um, and then I didn't really circle around again until my daughter was young. So our girls, I think, kind of wake us up a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the truth? Wow. Okay, so you went from being a a fundamentalist Christian to an atheist, just absolutely rejecting it all. Yeah, (laughs) and and then and then became a Muslim. I I want to get back to the goddess, but I just I I can't I can't let that drop. Like how how did that happen? I'm just curious. Well, I think I'm because I'm like I've always been a very spiritual person. The years that I was an atheist were really hard for me, and I was at a point where I really couldn't go back to Christianity at all, ever. And um, my first husband happened to be Lebanese. And I actually only became a Muslim because people were so Islamophobic toward him. And everyone assumed that he must be beating me. And they would, you know, say horrible things. I kind of have a look where I could be especially when I was younger, a lot of different ethnicities. So people would just assume that I was also Arab and just say really, you know, things that I'd never heard before in my life, like you deserve to die, go back to your country, you know, the sand in word. Wow. Um, wow. And was this around, was this around 9-11 or was this around? No, this the- was before 9-11. Wow. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, it really opened my eyes. And then when I went to Lebanon and I met his family, and of course he's still one of my best friends, he's uncle to my children. Um, and I, you know, I'm still very close to his family. I spent all of the other morning talking to my old sister-in-law and catching up on all the gossip and everything. But um, I just felt they're like the best people ever. And I thought, you know, this is really insane. So it actually led me to want to learn more about the religion. And then I decided I loved the principle of Ramadan and I wanted to do Ramadan. So my husband, uh, Hussein at the time, uh, was just teasing me, well, if you want to do Ramadan, then you have to be a Muslim. And so I thought about it for a while, and I said, yeah, you know what, I think I do. So um, I did, and I don't practice anymore. It's not something that um, I think I've kind of just left all the patriarchal religions, but I don't really say that because I think there's also this assumption like, oh, you know, Islam is bad, that's why you left it. For me, I had a very beautiful experience with the religion, and coming from where I was coming from, it was progressive. So um, it was kind of a stepping stone for me, and you also will find a lot of the divine feminine, I think, easier within Islam than Christianity. So maybe because it's a newer religion. So um, yeah, in any case, that's what happened, and uh, I think I needed that some sort of spirituality and at the time that was what worked for me yes that that makes a lot of sense to me I at this point in my own journey I feel like I can look back and see how every step I took uh, you know I, I was Christian and then I was really interested in Buddhism for a while and then I got into yoga and then I, I had this period in my 20s where I thought I was going to be a nun um, not because I was into Catholicism but I just wanted to be so close to God um, but I could see how all of those little threads were starting to weave together and point me towards this path of the divine feminine which I think kind of has to happen that way because she really hasn't been present in our culture it would be very hard to find a straight line to her I don't know if you agree with that but um, that, that's how it's felt for me you have to dig I think 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And once you do, then she's everywhere, but it's, yes. you know, she's, she's been buried in, on purpose. You know, it wasn't on accident that she's hard to find. There's a reason that she's hard to find. So, you know, I think, I mean, even I've talked about this before, but uh, the word goddess is so scary for, and it was scary for me. That's one of the reasons that I started with the girl God, because coming from a fundamentalist background, that's, you know, heresy, that's, you know, Oh, yeah. scary talk so I think just just the the word goddess is frightening for a lot of women and men of course too I think are uh, they don't either they don't want goddess to come into power because they don't want the women in their lives or around the world to come into power or it's just they're also maybe very religious and think that it's you know something bad and old and you know I mean not good yeah, I understand that. And I had a real aversion to the word goddess too. I still kind of do. And I, I own now that our language is very patriarchal. It's all we have. And so um, even all the words that we have to describe the feminine are, they, they make us feel kind of, you know, but, and so I, I acknowledge that that language has been set up that way. But for me, even the language goddess in the beginning, I, I, I took myself so seriously. And so I thought goddess was, you know, I just pictured women wearing flowery moo-moos and um, doing stuff that I would probably love to do now. But at the time I was like, <laughs> like that's weird. I can't, I can't go there. So yes, I, I understand that. Um, that yeah. Well, I mean, we've been so disconnected from our own rituals that they seem unnatural to us. So oh, yeah. I think even just coming back into circles for women is so powerful and it takes time, you know, like the first, I think even years and even sometimes now, some of the women's rituals seem a bit woo-woo to me. And it's like, uh, it's, it's because we've been disconnected from them and we're used to a, a more linear patriarchal in my case, mostly Christian way of like, you know, this is how we do things. So doing it in, a, in another way is, is scary in a way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me about your, so you said that it was the, the birth of your daughter that kind of awoke, well, maybe not the birth, I'll let you explain that, but it was your daughter's presence that kind of turned you back to finding the divine feminine. Um, can you tell me a little more about that? Yeah. So I was, I was trying to kind of cover all my bases with my kids because I grew up with like basically a pamphlet of all the world religions and why they were wrong. And that's, <laughs> yeah, that's what I, um, that's what I knew of all the religions. So it would go even, and it even had like Catholicism on there. It was, it was like, oh, boom, yeah. boom, you know, all, all these are wrong and except for us, of course. And so I wanted to raise my kids in an interfaith uh, way and um, my I, I personally, I didn't really want to go back to Christianity, but at the time, my grandparents were elderly, and they were involved in a very wonderful UCC church, so they needed a ride to just uh, to, to church a lot of times. And UCC, so, what's... Uh, what's uh, well, <laughs> for fun, it's Unitarians Considering Christ, but it's actually United Church of Christ. <laughs> ah, okay. So it's, it's one of the more liberal, uh, liberal of the the Christian churches and it's a really it's actually their congregation is a wonderful group of people and I, I mean I have gone there since I was a little girl so I knew many of the people and my grandparents were like the absolute world to me so um, I decided I would take them and like have my kids go to church and everything 
And, um, and then I was still Muslim at that time. So I was also raising them within the Muslim community. So um, kind of doing everything and thinking, okay, I have all my bases covered and, you know, like they'll at least get a wide range and they can decide for themselves what is the best thing. And, but then my daughter was just not having it. <laughs> so, um, you know, first of all, we went to the mosque at one point and um, it was, it was when the Egyptian uprisings had started. And so it, it had become, the mosque that I had gone to had become a little bit more conservative um, since even after 9-11. And we went back and I, I, I've never worn the hijab, but I always um, did out of respect to others when I went to the mosque. So I had just put my daughter in a hoodie because she was four, just on the weird chance that she needed to cover her hair or something. But then I noticed as we we're coming up, there's like this sign, everybody, all women must cover their hair. And I'm thinking, oh crap, you know? So I just, I just put the hoodie over her head. And she's like, why, what are you doing? <laughs> and she's like, if Joey doesn't have to wear it, I'm not going to wear it either. <laughs> and so there was a guy actually at the door and he was just like, okay you know you just like let her through but so that was like one of the first things but then also then later she just said you know I don't feel God you know I just don't um, relate to this idea of God or anything and that made me feel really sad because it made me think of the years that I was an atheist where I just felt sort of alone and um, empty in a way and so I was just digging a little bit and then what it turned out to be is that she didn't relate to God because she thought God was a guy and then as soon as I said, well, maybe there's a girl God, then she just lit up. I was like, yeah, yeah. And so with this idea, I kind of just took the conversation that we had and a couple other conversations and weaved that into um, what became the Girl God book. So, um, yeah, she basically kind of gave me the idea for everything and, and, and kind of just forced me to relook at everything that I had kind of... Um, not really wanted to look at it, I suppose. <laughs> you know, when it's your daughter, I think you look at it maybe different than your own self, even because we're taught as women not to value ourselves. But of course, you love your children more than anything. So when it's really affecting them, I think it sometimes is an easier way, especially for women to heal themselves, is to see how something has affected their daughter. Because I don't think we sometimes can even look at ourselves. We always put ourselves last and we're not really taught to think about what's in our own best interest. I mean, everything in patriarchy is pretty much against our own best interest as women. So. Oh, absolutely. And what I'm, I was thinking as you're sharing that is just how incredible that your daughter had the foresight and who knows, maybe it's the environment that you created or the environment that we're in now to actually say, I don't see myself in this God because God is a man. I can't, I, I can't even imagine having been able to articulate that as a child because it was such a, a given. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, no, I wouldn't have been able to articulate that as a child. I, I probably would have been locked up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or I, I, I yeah. I think yeah. what I might have gotten was a a compassionate but very clear no yeah. lecture on. <laughs> yeah, but but that's just the way it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And so then this journey with your daughter ultimately becomes the girl God. So mm -hmm. it ha um, so tell me, so your professional career though, were you a writer before this? Were you writing as a job or? No, I actually, the first book I wrote actually, I've never published. It was actually about 
my first husband in a time in Lebanon. I still would like to publish it at some point, but I wanted to be a writer when I was younger. And then my dad and my stepmom were always kind of like, well, that's not practical. And, you know, you'll never be able to support yourself and da, da, da. So I was sort of dissuaded from doing that. And I um, ended up going to get an MBA my stepmom really, which, you know, I mean, she was right in a lot of ways. I, uh, I'm, I'm glad that I got it. Um, and she had, you know, come from a professional background. She was like one of the first pharmaceutical reps in the seventies. So she was really into like oh, wow. feminism, but from the standpoint of making money, you know, like you have <laughs> to be able to, to be strong or equal to a man and, and in terms of making as much money as, is um, as he does, which is not really my view of feminism now. So yeah, so I ended up doing my MBA. I was a mortgage broker for 13 years. And um, yeah, at at one point, you know, the market had crashed. There wasn't a lot of uh, business to be had. My children were very young. I was going through a second divorce with their father and my children's father. And I was just like, okay, my life is not working for me at all. (laughs) Like I need to actually figure out what I'm doing and what, you know, like this just isn't working. So I basically spent at least, I don't know, a year or two just really soul searching, not really doing much other than reading a lot, taking care of my children. Yeah, just changing everything. I did my certification um, training then with Patricia Lynn Riley, which is the Imagine a Woman training for to become a coach. Um, but I, yeah, it was just a period where I was rethinking everything and trying to figure out, okay, I want to do something that's meaningful now, not, I mean, I liked for a long time being a mortgage broker, but it just wasn't, I couldn't do it. I got to a point where I just couldn't go into the office anymore. I just couldn't, couldn't manage. Mm-hmm. And when you wrote The Girl God, were you, I believe, did you self-publish this book? Oh yeah. I don't think yeah. it would have ever been published somewhere. <laughs> Okay, that was going to be my question. <laughs> no. Because this was written in, was it written in 20, remind me, was it 2013? Um, I think it was, go, I think, I want to say 2012 or 2011. Um, yeah. So, yeah, 2012, I think. Okay. Yeah. So were you, um, what were your plans for it when you wrote it? Were you just, you know, was it a, a, a labor of love or were you thinking like, hey, I want to get this out to the world or? Well, yeah, I always wanted to get it out to the world. I. Um, you know, when I first wrote it down, it was just, I just wrote it down kind of like, I don't know, in half an hour or something. And then I told my current husband, I think I want to publish this book. He's like, yeah, go for it. So um, I had in my head the exact idea of like, which art to use. And, um, and then we had a mutual friend who actually lives here, um, who is an artist. And then she had uh, posted artwork from Elizabeth Sletness, who is the actual artist of the Girl God book. Um, and I was like, as soon as I saw, and now the, the painting's hanging above me, as soon as I saw the painting, I was like, that is the artist. And so I reached out to her and I, I think she thought it was a little bit strange at first that she was like, well, let me read the book. <laughs> so she, she did. And then she agreed to do it. And then we did two more together after that. So, um, she's just really, uh, her artwork is really, really special. So, yeah, the th- there were many things that struck me when I've um, 
it finally got the girl God. One was this story that is, it's unusual, you know, it's, um, and it, it's, it's clearly from having conversations with you, it's, it's autobiographical. Uh, the mother is, is Muslim. It's, it's the story that you just told. Mm-hmm. And then the, the mother and the daughter going out and seeking, um, a God that looks like her. And, and so that's really beautiful, but uh, it struck me how it was a very unusual in comparison to a lot of the other kids' books that I'd seen. But it, the other thing that I thought was just so wonderful, and I'll make sure to put links in the show notes so you can, um, it, to Trista's website, so you can see some of this, but the art is really, really spectacular. Um, it, it appears like there's just lots of layers and meaning to each image and so and I think it's something that kids can resonate with I was I was reading one of your books to my son and he you know actually ooh was like oh that's pretty he's five you know so that's kind of neat but I think for adults too it's an opportunity to just sort of dive really deeply in to the imagery and yeah I want to just say uh, a little bit about Elizabeth's art and her process because I actually was just there to visit her uh, about a week ago uh, she has this really magical studio. It's just huge. It actually at one point was a grocery store and she got really lucky with it. An old man had it and didn't, it was just kind of sitting empty and she was able to get it for a really good price. And I'm so glad actually, because it's, she's able, I don't think she would be able to do it without this big studio because she has these huge pieces and all her art is layered. Like you said, it's, it's, um, but a lot of times what she does is she just spills the paint on them. And then she will put a little water um, on the paint and see kind of like what comes out of it. And then she she also has all these like animals, uh, pictures of animals up on her wall and stuff. And so she, a lot of her work does have animals in it, which I'm an animal lover. I think you are also. Mm-hmm. But she sees these images and then creates like these magical beings. And also if you studied uh, goddess, a lot of times they are multifaceted where there's, you know, like animals kind of uh, combined with female bodies or whatever male bodies and you see a lot of that in her artwork so it's really like completely magical it's nothing that I've seen anywhere else it's it's really just amazing and like we have a couple of her uh, original paintings here and like whenever our kids come they just like to go and look at the paintings and see like oh you know and even if they've seen it already several times like you could always find something else in the painting that you haven't seen before so that's one of the reasons I wanted her to illustrate those books because it's like especially reading children's books you read the same one over and over again so <laughs> like being able to see something different in the picture every time to me, I think even as a parent is really nice because <laughs> some of the books that I read to my kids, I just wanted to throw out the window. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not going to name any names, but yes, I agree with you. <laughs> well, the other thing that I think is really neat about the visual um, images too, is that one of the things that I've learned about the divine feminine is um, she, she's visual. You know, we connect with her visually. Um, there's a, a a holistic way of connecting with her when you see an image that that language you know is reductive by nature right we have to break things apart in order to explain things but when you see an image you can take it in all at once and that holistic aspect of an image reminds me very much of the divine feminine because she is all things so uh, that really spoke to me as well Uh, yeah i think we talked about this a little bit before that 
I think sometimes art is even more powerful than literature for women, especially to, to connect to the divine feminine, because we're so, you know, like you were saying with the word goddess, we're shut off from all these things, but it's like the cave paintings. We can remember actually in our, I think way back, uh, from thousands of years ago, probably like the cave paintings and how the divine was conveyed also in statues. Like I have a lot of statues in my house too. Um, and reconnect that way. And I think, um, Carol Christ says, uh, I'll probably misquote this, but she talks, she has a wonderful quote about why images of, of uh, the goddess are so important to break down uh, male control and male authority. And so I think it's, it's really good to reconnect. I have them all over my house. So, <laughs> so yeah. 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 Um, yes. Well, that reminded me since you mentioned the cave paintings, I, um, you know, there's always this assumption of those prehistoric cave paintings were done by men who were uh, going out to hunt, right? And they're painting mm-hmm. these images. But uh, the theory that I think makes much more sense is that they were they were made by women and uh, they were made inside caves because that's inside the body of the mother. You know, if the goddess is the entire world and all around us, the going inside of a cave is literally going inside of her body. And... I've always thought of those images, like, you know, if you're painting on the inside of the mother's body, the animals that will sustain you, that, that feels like the earliest version of prayer that I can imagine. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, who knows? That's my, that's my working theory. And I like it better than hunters. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's really, that's probably very true. And I think also coming from kind of a patriarchal background for a long time I felt very allergic to even the word prayer and I think it's really important for those of us like embracing goddess to reconsider what prayer means because I I've come back into this place I don't even know maybe especially the last five years where prayer is really important to me but it's so different than it was before it's not to I mean I I've feel sorry for my the little girl that I was you know laying you know I'd be on my knees next to my bed begging for forgiveness and you know um, that's a sad way to grow up (laughs) it is so yeah yeah I want to come back to this okay let's let's come back to prayer but I wanted to say one more thing about the girl god and um and I think this appears in your other books as well, that, that one other thing that I just thought was so unique and wonderful is that you've included, you just have this treasure trove of quotes of, of just amazing um, poems and references to the divine feminine that are sprinkled throughout the book. So it sort of feels like, I thought when I was reading it, I'm like, oh, this is kind of like two books in one because I'm getting this story that I can tell my kids, but then I'm getting like this really deep um, little nuggets of wisdom that can land in my heart that goes hand in hand with the images. So it's sort of like this multi-layered experience in reading the books. One of the things that I've tried to do with, uh, I'm not very good at Instagram, but on Facebook is uh, share two gifts that I have. One is I'm a speed reader and second that I can (laughs) type super, I I can type incredibly fast. And I've just now figured out, which will save my life, uh, how to, copy and paste from my Kindle, which I've been reading more on since I moved to Norway. But I have like about at least 400 pages of quotes that I have typed out from different books. 
over the years. So that's why I have, and I, I love poetry. I love, I've read poetry to my children since they were babies, really, uh, which is, I think, probably unusual. But my, I didn't really talk to my kids in baby talk. I talked to them like human beings. And I read poetry and, and books mm -hmm. that were maybe, you know, above their comprehension but I it actually worked out well because both my kids were articulate by the time they were like three <laughs> so wow so with the girl god you wrote this book you put it out to the world and then did this feel like this was going to become a um, career path or was it just did it feel like something that you were just going to try and and then move on um well, I wouldn't really even say that it's a career. It's been kind of like a long volunteer period. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't really think that there would be more books, but then I just, I guess, was inspired, and then I just kept getting more ideas, and now I have more ideas than what I could probably ever do in my lifetime, but... Um, yeah, I don't know. It just sort of happened this way organically, I guess. Mm. And and now there are 25 books and counting. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it, at what point did you decide to, you know, expand from children's books into putting out anthologies and things for adults as well? Um, the first anthology we did was Whatever Works, and that is much more, I think I was, it was a little bit out of frustration because I felt kind of like, I, and I still am in this spot, but not quite as much as before. I'm kind of in between like feminism, uh, goddess, goddessians, I don't know what, for lack of a better word, whatever you want to call it, um, interfaith. And, and I did kind of feel a lot of um, judgment at that point, because I was still more, I don't, I don't know that I was really even practicing Muslim, but I don't know. I, I think I wanted to put that book together because I felt like there was so much judgment between women and yeah. like, I know more than you and, mm -hmm. and, and I didn't like it. And um, that book is probably a lot more conservative than I am at this point, but I felt like we needed a bridge between women coming from different places because I look back at myself even 10 years and especially 20 years and even more so 30 years I'm a completely different person and I think there needs to be more bridges between us and more understanding that we're all on a path and we get there at different times or some of us maybe never I mean sadly a lot of women never break out of their chains ever so yeah, yeah. I, I also think that studying the divine feminine for me has reminded me so much of um, the the cyclical nature of life and the ways in which we are always evolving. And so if we think about it that way, then our, our viewpoints should be shifting and changing. And we should never be in a position of um, the permanent expert or always having a particular answer. In fact, I, I kind of feel like any time I have landed on something that I'm like, this is definitive, she, you know, the goddess will show up and pull the rug out from under my feet mm -hmm. to just remind me like, nope, nope, this is sort of the nature of reality is it's shifting and changing. And yeah. your job is not so much to try and anchor yourself as to flow with it. 
Yeah, I think I think if we could all just be a little bit more open hearted with each other, we would actually get where we need to go quicker. Because I know too, like when I was really into this fundamentalist belief, if somebody came at me with that, then I just get even more strong in my conviction that I'm right as a Christian. And yeah, we want people to have open hearts. So if you can just talk to each other with you know, just the idea of like putting this out there for you to consider and not like, oh, you know, you're dumb if you're still a Christian or you're, um, you know, and I get, I get frustrated at times at the pace that we're going, but I just have to remind myself like, okay, we're, we are moving forward and hopefully we'll all get wherever we need to go at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do think, uh, it, it does feel like in the last few years in particular, things have been shifting much more rapidly. Mm-hmm. So it's my hope that that continues. Yeah. So at this point, I would say you're probably pretty deep in your journey with the divine feminine. Like you can tell me if that feels like a fair assessment to you or not, but, and, and I hesitate to, to put labels on things. We've just been talking about the shortfalls of language. So, uh, but I, I do want to ask you, you know, one of the first things for me that, that I was, I was really trying to figure out, well, what, what is the sacred feminine? What is the divine feminine? And I'm wondering if you've got a way to you know, put your hands around that or, or, or frame it for us after all of this work that you've done. Well, I think that could be a difficult question. Just like the idea of like father God yeah, can be difficult if you had a bad relationship with your father or a difficult one. I I tend to like the mothering. I guess I go in circles. I I've been criticized for being too mother centric. Um, I think I identify that with that because I am a mother, and I have a good relationship with my mother. So I don't have um, some of the same baggage some people do with like seeing like a mothering, nurturing God. Um, but I think that's actually really important to work on that healing. To me goddesses different things but you could look at her as maiden mother crone or some people also put in queen which is more like i guess now the period that i'm in in between <laughs> mother and crone um i was just talking to somebody about this the other day how it felt like yeah we need something you know like yeah. yeah no there's a really good book actually that i and i've had it forever i don't know why i didn't read it sooner i wish i would have because now i'm like in perimenopause and it's kind of a crazy time but uh donna hennis has written uh I think I always put in an extra word, I think, but it's the queen of myself, I think. But she she advocates for the crone in between um, the the uh, mother and the uh, the crone. And I think that makes a lot of sense as we're like living longer now. Um, and, you know, just the idea of like being sovereign in your life, um, which I think sometimes it's hard to do as the mother because it's <laughs> it requires a lot of self-sacrifice, really. Um, so yes. I think really in terms of like goddess, it probably depends on where you are in your own life cycle. So that's probably why I relate more with the mother aspects of it. Uh, I certainly honor and I love, like I can see, I call my daughter little goddess um, mm. in the maiden and I see that she is so full of herself and thankfully has never really been squelched. Certainly people have tried to, to push her down, but she's very, very strong. and. Uh, She's not having it. So, and then, you know, as Crone, I think that's a really beautiful, beautiful time that I saw in my grandmothers. And I learned so much from them. And I definitely see 
even though well one of my grandmothers was like an atheist who swore like a sailor and the other one was very <laughs> like more christian and like i don't think probably ever swore in her entire life but i definitely saw a goddess energy in both of them mm. so yeah i don't i don't think there's for me there's not an easy answer because i think she shifts yeah you know, she shifts into different things and she's different things to different people but one thing she's definitely not as father god uh it's a completely different uh, understanding of the divine than what you'll find in patriarchal religions for the most part mm -hmm. so yeah father god to me feels very associated with uh judgment and righteousness and uh law and there is this way and that way right and wrong and um i think uh, mary oliver's wild geese actually to me speaks to what i think the divine feminine message is more than anything the poem that's you draw you do not have to be good you do not have to be yeah. on your knees yes repenting you just have to let the small animal of your body love what it loves or i don't know i've probably yes. watched it but something to that effect because that's uh divine feminine is so much more about joy and enjoying life and being happy being and you know when you are all those things you don't need all those rules because you do them automatically you treat people well because you're acting from a place of love and joy and not you know like now when you have all these people hoarding that's that's a uh, patriarchy that's uh, masculine principles where they're coming out of a place of fear yes not having enough goddess to me is this abundant energy of like i will share it's not because i am being forced to share it's because i want to share because i love you and i i have enough and we you know we're in this together and we will take care of each other it's yes just, it's very opposite <laughs> polar opposite yeah well and that's a nice tee up because that's one of the things i wanted to ask you is you know if we if we think about the, your body of work and what you've done to elevate the divine feminine in our consciousness um how might that benefit us and and i had originally wanted to frame that as sort of a a future state question but i think we're in the future state right now you just named it with people hoarding and there's so much fear and panic so yeah, I, I wonder if you could say a little bit more about that that perspective of the divine feminine and, and how it can serve where we want to go. Yeah, I mean, I've had a couple people ask me if I think like the coronavirus is goddess, goddess is pissed and she's basically taking her wrath out on us. And I, I think that's a very patriarchal, biblical way to look at things and that's completely opposite of how i see the goddess i i think that she i view her like in this like a mother who's very caring and who loves us who wouldn't actually want anything bad to happen to any of her children but who also is not going to take nonsense i don't i don't think she's like a, a doormat um so i think that you know there's a natural balance you know if you if you screw with like the mother bear, you know, like you screw with her, her kids, she's going to come at you with her claws and protect her children. Um, and yeah. I, I was just going to say, and I think that when we think of, we've told a very human centric story to ourselves for a long time now, because we pretended we're not a part of this beautiful interconnected ecosystem. So that's something else that comes up for me too, which is, 
Yes. I mean, human life is special to her and so is all other life on this planet. And we certainly haven't lived in a way that's been um, deeply respectful of our fellow species. Yeah. To me, I think now, and and, I mean, there's been a lot of wake up calls. Maybe, maybe she was (laughs) nice with us and didn't go full force. I don't know, but um, maybe she, you know, it's kind of like when you tell your kids, or if, at least the way, if I tell my kids, I say, okay, you can't do this. They, they do it anyway. And you kind of keep having to take it up a little bit stricter until they finally get it. And they know like, hey, okay, uh, mom is really serious now. Um, but I don't think it's any sort of like bad intent or like this, like she's out of control, angry or something. Like you think of like the wrath of God or something. I just think that... Yeah, we need to we need to be respectful of our mother, which is, you know, the earth and and of each other. And I think uh, as a whole, people should treat each other better. Um, the world would not be in such a mess if we were all doing more. And you know, I think if we are honest, a lot of us aren't doing as much as we can. We're not in tune as much as we can. We're too into consumerism. We're not connecting you know meditating or grounding or doing things gardening that would connect us back um, to the divine feminine Um, shopping is not going to do that (laughs) no definitely not well this feels like a good place to for me to circle back to that question about prayer um as or that discussion about prayer because um if we thinking about the difference between like this father God versus divine feminine force. I'm curious what it feels like for you to engage in prayer with goddess. Cause it feels like to me that th- this is a particular time in our evolution as humans, that prayer would be really useful. Yeah. So what has really changed for me is like prayer used to be kind of more of an event that, you know, and I would have to get on my knees, be in the position and, you know, to me now, if I'm in tune, prayer is something that should be always happening. And of course it doesn't because I'm human and I, you know, also have a temper and mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not always in, in the space where I want to be. But in an ideal world, I think prayer is like your natural communion. You know, like when I'm chopping vegetables, when I'm cooking for my family, that's the prayer. You know, if you're walking, if you're, you know, there's so many things, but it's just like being in communion always. Or as much as possible and yeah being in a state of gratitude whenever possible because which I used to bug me when people said that honestly but but it does make a big difference on your mental health and everything and you know you can always have more and someone will always have more than you but if you are always thinking like you know even as you're walking through your house oh I'm so uh grateful for that I'm happy that I I have that or that you know for your family or things that they've done or yeah well, I think your point too about um, prayer and yeah, it's just, it's a valuable reflection back to me too, to spend less time uh, taking in. I mean, there's really, I don't know how helpful the news is at this point, you know, like um, mm-hmm. less time taking in other people's fear and other people's experiences and more time just being really present and trying to make these little moments that I have here in my home with my kids filled with gratitude and filled with um, just connection to what is. I know I certainly feel so much better when I do that. Well, yeah. And even just the way you start your day, 
instead of grabbing your phone, if you could just take, you know, five or 10 minutes and do meditations and because there's always going to be something going on in the world. Now it's particularly hard, but um, yeah, I don't think it's always helpful to have the phone so easily available. I think we don't have to, we can't make the choice. We don't have to be on the computer or the phone all the time. And also we're setting an example for our kids too. I don't know. It'll, it'll be interesting times because if, when we're isolated, I think in a way people maybe will be online more, but if you can maybe monitor which sites you're on. And like, I know for me, if I see people that are constantly like freaking out, I just unfollow them. <laughs> yes. Well, you know what? It feels like a really good time to read a book. Um, yes. so, <laughs> yeah. I've been so, doing a lot of that. <laughs> so yes. And so I want to, um, if people want to learn more about your books, um, they can go to your website, correct? Where, where uh-huh. would you send them to learn more? Um, it's the Okay. The And, um, is the best way to get books um, by ordering directly through you or through an independent bookseller or what do you recommend? Yeah, through me or independent is better. I try to steer away from Amazon, but it's pretty much impossible. I, so, I know. Um, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I'm happy if people buy a book. Um, I don't think Amazon is going anywhere. So no, so. no. Well, if you find yourself stuck at home, with your children, even if you don't, um, <laughs> this is absolutely some excellent reading material that you can pick up here. And then I will also make sure to put information about your social media in the show notes if people want to follow you and what you're doing. And I thank you so much for this time, Tristan. Yeah, it's thank been, you, Liz. It's, it's been, been really fun to talk to you. It's been wonderful to talk to you. I wish you and your family lots of um, health and uh, yeah, you too. Happiness yeah. in these Stay small. Healthy. Thank you in these small moments we have. Yeah, and then if you guys like this show, uh, ask you to do me a favor and subscribe or give it a five star review or tell a friend about it. If you just think it's really the bee's knees, you can do all three. So thanks for being here. We'll talk to you again soon. hosted by me, Liz Kelly. You can visit me online at hometoher.com where you can find show notes and other episodes. You can read articles about the sacred feminine and you'll also find a link to join the Home to Her Facebook group for lots more discussion and exploration of her. You can also follow me on Instagram at home to her to keep up to date with the latest episodes. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you back here soon. 